Hello, and welcome to episode 149 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Hemesbergen. I am Embryonix on Twitter. That's at E-M-B-R-Y-O-N-X. And we're joined by quite a few folks today. First of all, we've got veteran podcaster Robert Fenner. Hello, it's me. Um, I don't have anything clever to say. You're just a stinky boy, and you're here. The stinkiest. Yeah, and I love that about you. We're also oh, joined you. by yeah, good. We're also joined by Nathan Lee, the premier um, Neptunia avatar on RPG Fan. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Good to have you, Nathan. And also, Greg Delmage is here. Everybody. Hi, everybody. There he is, and he doesn't sound as uh, high pitched this time. I swear to God, last time you had like a weird modulation effect happening to your voice or something. I don't know. I don't know. I was just trying to auto tune, just trying something fresh for the people at Podcast Land. That makes sense. And finally, we have a new panelist joining us today. It's Gino DeJoya. Hello, RPG fans. I'm the guy who writes the coming this week and is always on news. So it's good to finally be out of my newsroom and into talking for a change. Yeah, we let you out of the cage. Pretty much. Yeah, we don't we don't publicize this, but when people start writing at RPG Fan, we we cage them usually for about four to six months. Um, when they're good, we'll like crack a window or like feed him some table scraps but generally I get treats sometimes shackled yeah so um <laughs> i didn't say you could talk greg <laughs> right now. no it's good to have you around and also uh apologies to the listeners in advance i'm gonna pull a rob steinman and talk about uh, or warn you about something that may end up not being a problem whatsoever because he loved to always be like apologies i'm sick and then he would like never cough or anything um there's cats around you never hear a cat and that was probably the most disappointing ever Oh, yeah, right? I want to hear the cat. In common public speaking practice, you should not be saying, oh, apologies for this, because there's always a chance that might not, people won't notice it. This is true. However, it's probably going to be noticeable that you will hear a lot of hammering and or machinery coming from my end, because we've got construction happening on either side of my apartment. Um, that's what I get for moving into a building that was actively being renovated. So if you hear a lot of noise, uh, rest assured that won't be a usual thing just today. So... Today's big game, the one that we've been kind of holding off on discussing really in depth, is, as you may expect, Octopath Traveler. It's been out for, what, like three weeks now? Or three weeks as of tomorrow. Just about, yeah. Yeah, and it's the game on everybody's minds. It's what I'm seeing the most discussion for still on Twitter, on Tumblr, on Facebook, etc. And I'm yeah, just... I want to play the most. It's so good. It's um, really good. It's really good. I'm really happy to see it so well received because it still feels like not too long ago that we were constantly hearing from publishers that America didn't care about classic turn-based RPGs. Like nobody wanted them, you know, and, and it's like, we've, we've been here all along and I just think that we had kind of a, maybe we had a surge in like not so great JRPGs for a while and maybe that's what happened and why interest waned and people wanted to see new and different things and that's fine they but they were in the handheld slum and nobody was really paying as close attention as they this, should this is true yeah, yeah. and there were japanese a lot developers of were slow on ps3 what was that uh, the japanese developers were slow developing on ps3 mm. yeah yeah so we had masterpieces like time and eternity ah <laughs> oh my god triggered that's still to this day i think the worst game i've ever reviewed Ooh. My lowest score, too. I think I gave it like a 30-something. Damn. Which Love. even was, was very generous. Because, I mean, it's it's got some great visual ideas. But, oh my god, that game is important. There's the hammering I was talking about. Just so, let them in, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> just just let them out. No, it's... 
<laughs> no, the entire thing, uh, that whole thing about the uh, hammering and construction was a ruse. It's it's the the caged RPG fan interns. They scream for release. Um, oh, there was one now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's it's really great to see so much enthusiasm surrounding a classically styled Japanese RPG like this, and it's not only classically styled in terms of the, the core of its gameplay, but also visually. Like, it's bringing this incredible fusion of of that retro style RPG with like pixelated character sprites into a world with a lot of visual depth and there's so much strategy afforded by the battle system and you can kind of make your own adventure by choosing which characters you want to focus on. Like you could theoretically just do one character story. You could speed run, not speed run, but cause it, we, you have to grind a lot, but you could just go through one character's tale from one to four and be like, I'm done. That's all. I just wanted to solo the game. Um, that's up to you. It'd be kind of weird, but you could do it. So, since we've all gotten a chance to play Octopath over the past few weeks, I figured now is the best time to bring people on and start chatting about it. So, oh gosh, um, I think. Are we besides... going to spoil it? Sorry, to interrupt. Um, oh, yeah, I don't. Before? I don't want to spoil anything story-wise. So I will Just keep it general cons- then. Yeah, c- consider this like a sort of spoiler warning. Um, I'm not gonna. I don't want to talk about like the identity of the final boss or something but um slow boy here who hasn't even completed all the chapter ones <laughs> yeah right exactly um, i guess completed buying a so, Switch, so here's here's my mild I'll, i would consider this a gameplay spoiler not a story spoiler okay ready here it is is that um we're going to probably bring up the fact that there is like a true ending like an epilogue dungeon type thing and that's about it so it exists there's more beyond the eight stories but it's that's all I was going to say. I don't want to talk about like what's in it. So um, I think besides me, the person who's played it here the furthest um, is Gino, right? Yep. Yeah. So you were even playing like as recently as three in the morning this morning, trying to get through that final boss section, right? I be, I played a half hour. I played like a less than an hour ago. That was my last attempt on the on that end game area. So it's it rough. was yeah, it's fun what? yeah i think it's a it stands as a really good challenge for people who want to really push their skills to the limit and see what they can do with that uh battle system but man is that a difficulty spike speaking of the battle system actually is something i noticed a lot with this considering it has some staff from bravely working on it is that when you get towards the end game the battle system becomes pretty broken in terms of what you can accomplish with it. have you noticed that yeah it's more like um, because you would think that you would straightforwardly be getting stronger by like getting more powerful direct magic spells or leveling up your characters and getting better armor and stuff. Whereas I find that my strategy towards endgame definitely became like, oh, I'm going to do things like uh, buff this one character to make them dodge a physical attack with 100% certainty and then spread that to everybody else. Or like use items to give a character extra turns to like buff beyond what they normally would have been able to do, that kind of thing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's one strategy in particular using uh, Tressa, the merchant character, that relies upon using a certain subclass. And you use that subclass to, like I just mentioned, you you have her apply this thing that lets her transfer her own self-buffs to other people that is intended, I think, to be used with a different category of abilities, but it works on this, on Sidestep, which is one of her merchant uh, abilities. And if you can, like, buffer to four bp or whatever she can just 
spread it to everybody, and, and then you'll suddenly have four uh, instances of being able to dodge any physical attack. And there's like at least one boss in the game that only uses physical attacks. So you are 100% invulnerable if you employ that strategy against it, which is cool, because it's like, hey, I figured out a smart way to beat a challenge that was in, in front of me. And um, I like that a lot. And I, But I, I get what you mean about it feeling kind of like breaking the game or breaking the battle system. So um, I have also noticed that the, uh, I guess we should probably get a little bit more general and talk about some of the earlier stages before we really go into like the end game strategy. And then now that I think about it, but yeah, well, you're saying stuff about subclasses and stuff. This game has like some sort of job system sort of aspect. I'm someone who has not, on purpose, oh, okay. yeah. like spoil myself too much on what the game is about and right. whatnot. So I'm here to kind of ask about that. Sure. So. so the we've talked about it a little bit on the show, I believe, like two episodes, we gave some initial thoughts about it. But just to sort of start from the beginning, <laughs> Octopath Traveler, uh, classically styled Japanese RPG that features eight characters. Each character has their own storyline to follow and their own corresponding job class. And those job classes impart them abilities that they can use both in and out of battle. So... The things for out of battle are um, character specific, and you can't like change those or, or assign them to other people. So, like Hanit, the huntress, is able to provoke people in town and just basically get into fights with them and beat them. And if you defeat them, then maybe they'll like drop something rare, or you can get past them to access like a little hidden location or something. Whereas, say, Therion, the thief, can steal things from people, which is incredibly useful. And I'd argue that like that ability is broken with some of the stuff you can do with it later. Yeah, and steal is one of the best abilities. Yeah, by far. So I also feel like, and Therion can also open locked chests, and he's the only character who can do that. So I feel like I always wanted to have him in my party for that reason. Um, so anyway, you have those, and then of course you have their in battle abilities. So like, if they're since Therion is a thief. He can do things like steal enemies' items in battle. He can um, absorb health or SP, which is like your magic points using uh, a dagger attack. And those, you can actually, like that sort of battle class aspect of it, you can actually assign um, like a as subclasses to all of the characters by finding these shrines around the game world. There's one um, corresponding to each of the eight character classes that you start with. And... The only restriction is that you can't assign more than one uh, subclass to a character. So, like, only one person can be a subclass cleric, say, at a time. Gotcha. So you could you could have Ophelia the cleric, which is like her main class, and then somebody else subbed cleric, but only one other person. Gotcha. So yeah. it varies from classic job systems in that way that you can't just have everyone do the same thing. Yeah, and the I guess the wrinkle there is just that everybody is um, quote unquote stuck with whatever they started out as. So you. You know, there's still a level of um, like uniqueness to each character that you can't get rid of, which I like because it encourages you to build a party around whatever their primary classes are and whatever abilities you think might complement those. Yeah, and you can do all great. kinds of stuff because I found myself messing with my setup quite a few times. Like, like I would have Ophelia the cleric in my party and then um, have her sub like scholar or something. And then I was like, you know, no, I want Cyrus the scholar in my party. So I put him in. And then had somebody else sub cleric, and then had Cyrus sub something else. So like, you can really mix and match a lot, and find um, some unique combinations. And for the most part, it feels pretty balanced. With the the one exception is like that one ability that you can only that sidestep like party buff you can only do with Tressa as a certain sub job, which uh, yeah. So so, so so if you have to assign like say you assign 
uh, Ophelia, so, sorry, I think that's cleric, and then you give her a warrior, does she can use staffs and swords and lances? Yeah, so they just gain access to the full ability set of both classes, including okay. whatever weapons that class can wield. So like, I found a bunch of shrines and I'm just like, I don't know if I should assign like like certain classes yet, because I'm not sure what, exactly what this does, because I'm not sure if it cancels out what they're already Oh, on. yeah, no. It doesn't cancel anything. It just adds on supplementary. And the nice thing is you can switch them all at any time. There's no penalty in any way. Um, and I find that sometimes it actually makes sense to assign a class that is um, pretty different from their base. Like, you would think that since Ophelia is a cleric, you wouldn't want her to be a warrior because she's magically oriented. But um, you can sort of, because a big part of the battle system in the game is exploiting enemy weaknesses to break, quote unquote, break them, which mm -hmm. lowers all of their defenses and stuns them for a whole turn. So I found that a lot of the time it was more important for me to have good break coverage than it was for me to have like super high powered stats. Um, although, I mean, you need high enough stats to do damage, but so it's viable to make Ophelia a warrior if you want to, because you can build her with equipment in such a way that like mitigates her lower stats. That being said, Ulbrich, who is a warrior base class, is probably always going to be better at melee-oriented stuff than Ophelia would be. But like, you can still play around with it. Okay. Yeah. Actually, actually, the thing is, actually, Ulbrich's stat it's our close enough where you can actually build him as a magic user without much of a problem. Because when you get to when you get certain equipment sets. The whole thing with Octopath is that equipment pretty much plays a little bit more than levels, as with equipment, you'll be able to alter around your characters a lot more. Like, with equipment, you're able making magic-based characters is much easier compared to just mm -hmm. making physical ones. Just to do That's very saga. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, well, magic's always been broken, like turn-based RPGs anyways. So, using that, to your, using that to your advantage is pretty simple in the long scheme of things. Yeah, so that freedom and flexibility, I think, is a big part of what makes Octopath so uh, engaging and why it's so well-received right now, because freedom is a big element in modern gaming. Like, people want to have choices. They want to be able to create their own experience, however it may be. Um, I still tend to gravitate towards, like, linear narratives just because I like... I, I think there's something to be said about an experience that's handcrafted to some degree, which is um, a discussion that I think we're going to get into with our second game on the show today. Uh, I, I like I like stories that have been written out that I get to experience, and if I can make small choices along the way, that's fine. Um, Octopath, I think, strikes a pretty good balance because it's both a, a collection of pre-written, you know, like defined narratives for each of these characters, but it's also a game that lets you choose the sort of I've, I think I described this, and I wrote a review for this for my other outlet. I described it as like the how the when and the why of and the who of, of your story. Like I get to decide who I want the focus of my story to be and how I want to develop them as a character and what areas I want to explore first. Like it's not so much that the game is totally, it's not like a quote unquote open world game. You, you can go anywhere you want in the world from the very get go. Nowhere is locked. You can walk wherever you want to. It's probably going to be too strong for you and you'll die if you go up like, to one of the high-level areas, but you could theoretically just walk up there. So that's something just, I've always liked about older JRPGs. You know, wandering into a place that you're not supposed to be. Like one of my fondest, fondest childhood memories was like accidentally going into the mine in Ease One, and then just okay. you know, just dying. But <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's still it's it's gating and it's keeping you away from there. But just you know, the fact that you're able to see that instead of you know just having a guard saying no, no, you're not ready to come here yet. It's it's like um, soft gating. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. 
That's, at least it's not a, a bunch of ants saying, oh no, there are ants. Please don't step on us. Pokemon levels of invisible wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so Octopath is freeing in that way without being explicitly like an open world or non-linear narrative type game. And I think that that balance is what makes it really appealing to people kind of in our in our niche, especially because it's like a lot of us grew up with classic Japanese style role playing games. And we many of us want to see a return to that. And like, make no mistake, they're a dime a dozen. Like there's so many games trying to emulate that style right now, but not all of them really get what makes them so good. Mm, so absolutely. So I think that Octopath does an excellent job of doing that because you can both kind of have the freedom to shape your own story or play with your characters how you want while still following each of these tales in whatever order you please. So I I absolutely love this damn game. Um, I guess we could get more into some of the story, the themes and stuff. Um, well, actually, I have a quick well, question for you. Yeah, I'm going to mention something yeah. else. Sure. Derek, if you... Um, um, so one major cr- critique I saw of the game while looking online for a lot of uh, certain reviews and our stuff is that the game can be very grindy. When I played through it, I didn't do any major grinding until the end game. What, what what was your experience with level grinding and all, anything like that? Yeah, I didn't have to grind until I decided to start taking on the uh, like the optional bosses. Um, so this would be, I guess, this is another gameplay spoiler. So pause here or skip ahead a minute or so if you don't want to be spoiled. I think this is minor and most people know about it, but just putting it out there. There are four additional jobs that you can unlock beyond the eight starting character classes. And those are all in these little like optional shrines and each one has an associated boss. We wrote a news article on that. Yeah, so it's 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 not like that much of a spoiler. Yeah, I think it's pretty it's pretty well known. But just in case I wanted to say that um, it's Oh my God, this hammering. <laughs> uh, so the the four character, the extra character classes, those those bosses are the first time that I ever really had to grind. And it turned out that I didn't need to grind as much as I just needed to adjust and adapt a very specific strategy for each one. Um, and then the only time I really did end up grinding a bit was when I wanted to uh, try to do the final boss gauntlet at the end. So I don't really think it's that grindy. No, me neither. Mm. The only time I had to grind was uh, going from chapters one to two, one to two because the level gap from chapters one to two is like ten levels, and you don't give them high enough level enemies to to really sustain through all eight chapters. So that's the only time I had to. Yeah, how far are you into it, Nathan? Uh, I'm still in the middle of halfway through everyone's chapter twos, I believe. So okay. about like I'm like five or so. Okay. I need yeah. to go a little bit faster because I'm, I'm reviewing this game for the site. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I've heard some varying, like wildly varying reports of how long it's taken people to get through the game. I think the final time on my clock when I, I, I didn't beat the final boss. I got all the way up to the final boss, uh, died after a very long struggle and decided that I was done. <laughs> um, but I had like 65 or so hours on my game clock. And I've heard some people saying that they have like over 80 and they're still in the early parts of the chapter fours for each character. So, oh, yeah, um, I'm anticipating being around there. I'm like 25 hours in and like middle chapter twos. Okay. My what? final play time was 80 hours. When I I finished the last chapter four, 80, and I'm at 106 right now trying to beat the, the true final boss as well. Oof. So, yeah. But I'm that's, used, I'm used, that's what I did for Bravely Second. I, by the time I was done Bravely Second, I was like 114, so I'm used to playing this much time. Yeah. Yeah, so it seems like it can be 
longer if you want it to be, if you want to really grind and do the extra challenges, um, or you could probably get through it quicker. And you'll get through it way quicker if all you want to do is get through like one or two chapter fours and you're like, I've experienced enough. Although I feel like most people who have played the game that far will probably want to see all of them through to the end. So. Yeah. 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 That's okay. one thing I would kind of want to keep about the story if we're still going to be on the topic of it. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, I don't kind of like how everyone kind of feels separate from each other. It's kind of like everyone does their own their own story, right? Like you, you do your own story for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I don't like how no one really interacts besides party banter. And it's kind of like, kind of takes me out of it when there's kind of like taking out everything by themselves, but they have everyone else behind them when they're, you know, fighting bosses or whatever. Yeah, it's I think there can be a disconnect at times. Like, I I'm not really bothered by that so much as I'm bothered by like specific instances where it doesn't really make sense. Um, like Therion specifically saying, I don't trust anybody. And then walking off with seven other people. <laughs> like, if you do his chapter one last, it's like, okay. Or um, even like spaces that wouldn't probably fit eight people. Like you're, well, I guess you're taking four at any given time. So let's say that you have like your party of four in a dungeon and you're like, in a you end up in a dungeon like a um, prison cell or something and it's like you're trying to escape from the prison cell and somebody has to come and help you out and it's like but there are four of us here like we have not done that ourselves or had one of our friends come from the tavern and like pick the rock you know i left there and so he could drink he can come help me like <laughs> that's the kind of thing that i think takes me out of it a little bit because it's like huh okay even like even accounting for the fact that they want all the stories to remain fairly separate, that doesn't really make sense to me. But I, I understand your critique. I think um, I probably feel differently about it than you do. But yeah, I'm, I had a discussion with somebody who referred to that sort of like uh, the interfacing between the characters is like they're acting as each other's therapists on the road, which I thought was a really interesting perspective because it's less that you're like in a traditional party of four taking down all of these villains together and stuff and more just like there are folks around you and you confide in them when you're feeling unsure or when you have a question or when you want to reflect or bounce something off of them and i and i like that um but you're right that it's not mm, it's not as organic as it could be yeah they can easily work things in a little bit better yeah, because because make no mistake, they're definitely all eight separate stories that aren't really intertwined. Like there there are threads that connect all of them, but the moment to moment stuff in the stories, it's not like it's not like Tressa's you know going out trying to become a merchant, and then Ulbrich shows up in her chapter two and is like, ah, you there? And I I think they could have stood to incorporate that. Um, for me, it's like a neutral and not a negative. Like it's it's nothing, you know. I I, it, I can see how it would have been better if they would have actually incorporated each character more into each other's stories, but as it is, yeah, they're just kind of in the background. Like, it wasn't too bad like when you recruit them because they talk to you and it's like, hey, let me tell you my story and this stuff kind of thing, but after chapter one, just seems to disappear. Yeah, more or less. I actually kind of um, think of this more like a Western RPG where it's the world where it's the world lore that takes more of the focus rather than an actual linear story that a lot of RPGs do so when i think about it that way and be like oh the focus is on um focuses on the world building and the individual and like individual characters or npcs in that regard that's what i like seeing and this game does a very good job building the world building other characters and developing them in a way where it actually works really well and 
and while there is no linear story outside like everyone's eight individuals the, what they do with that makes things a lot more enjoyable in the long run also those travel banter have some really funny moments in them anyway yeah so. it's always pretty funny i like it it's a shame they're not more frequent actually i think but but maybe then i'd mm. feel like they were too mm. much or something if they were like every uh, like every character has every character has seven with the other party members per chapter you just need to make sure you have them in your party at that point yeah and i i did not realize that that was what was happening for quite a while. I was probably partway through a lot of the chapter twos before I even realized. Um, I think the first time I saw the icon for travel banter, I was like, oh, shoot, did I miss that before? Uh, and because it's like up in the top right of the screen and it's in the like white text on the black. They're all on screen. YouTube, so it's not like yeah. it's, you can, so if you, yeah. them, you can go get them there. That's true. But uh, you can also, there's also some that involve three characters. So you either have to have the, those three in your party or like you go to a tavern and occasionally one of your other characters will be standing in the tavern. And like if they're in there plus the people in your party, it might trigger. So oh, interesting. Okay. To try that. That doesn't, that doesn't occur until post game. I should mention that. What's that? The three, the four, the three, the four travel banter that is included until you complete one of someone's chapter fours. Oh, really? Okay. I did not realize that. Interesting. But yeah, I suppose you could see them um, online if you miss any after you beat the game. I'd probably recommend at least trying to, you know, get because you don't want the context for events spoiled before you play the game. But yeah, yeah, good call. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and uh, also I think that it's good. It's well planned out. Like it feels as if all of those stories could conceivably exist in the same world without necessarily running into one another, because there's a lot of shadowy stuff happening in a couple of them that you know it makes sense that like tressa wouldn't know about the dealings of the underworld as she's out and about doing her emergency stuff or um like hornets out hunting beasts in the wilderness so she's off in some forest while Oberick's like fighting a guy in the desert you know what i mean so uh, mm -hmm. it's it's not like each one goes to the same town in the same order and there's no uh ramifications or consequences of any of the events that happen there. It's like, okay, they're all just kind of operating independently of one another. So I do appreciate that. And I think that they touch upon some nice themes, even if none of the storylines are especially deep. Like mm. I think they're there's deep. Some enough. Yeah. There's some that like better, way better than others. Yeah. I think like Primrose stands out early yeah. on as uh, a character who has a much more interesting and, and dark. Big tonal shift there. Yeah. yeah. Right, you know, to go from Tressa, she's a you know, happy go lucky go on yeah. merchant adventure. And I'm then... gonna be a merchant. And then Primus is like, I'm a whore. And... I must avenge my father. Yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, I'm being yeah. slapped around by a big fat man who says horrible, horrible things. Yeah. So, um, towards the end, I think that each one for the most part, wraps up all right, but I do think that they are constrained a bit by the four-chapter format. Like, each one has a very clear arc that's easy to uh, predict if you know where each character's story is going. Like, if, if you can guess at their motivations or, like, guess at the ultimate resolution, you're probably right with how it's going to go. I wasn't shocked by any of them, I'll say that. But the moment-to-moment -moment writing is good enough that it, uh, it makes them all worth experiencing. Yeah. What do you guys think of Alfin? I love him. I like Alfin. Yeah. yeah. He's a little I, bit boring, but uh, I, I still like him. 
Alfred reminds me of a more innocent version of Kevin Graham from Trolls in the Sky 3. That's oh, what, wow. That's what he reminds me of, like a like a more innocent version of him. Huh, that's an interesting person. Maybe that's why I like him. Cause I that like is, him. Mm, yeah, that, that there might be something to that. So you don't, do you not like him, Robert? Uh, no, I mean, it's weird. It's weird. I had this discussion with my friend Alva, because um, Alva really hates Alfin. And I don't hate Alfin, but I'm baffled. Um, because like the, the writing, uh, says to me like, okay, this person, uh, their desire is to become like a doctor without borders to, um, measure up to their once of their, of their deceased mother. Um, and they put, uh, people before prophets, et cetera, but the voice acting and the intonation, it's a little bit like Link in the old 1980s Legend of Zelda cartoon. <laughs> He's really like, excuse me, princess. I'm gonna heal your grandpa for free. And it's just like, whoa! I I like, so? uh, you're you're okay. Like, you're a good person. But what's with the what's with the attitude, buddy? He's just it's actually so more interesting because I have an un-Japanese dub right now, and he still sounds uh-huh. like like he talks about how he's like, well, he came from a bit of a troubled past, so he still has that kind of gruff voice in Japanese. Well, not like gruff, but he speaks in a way that's little bit more like uh thug-ish kind of oh is it in english he sounds like back in mighty number no. nine like that's more like it <laughs> oh my god no i just think he's a country bumpkin <laughs> he is a country bumpkin and that but that's why i like he's a country bumpkin that that kind of has like a weird side to him i i like that he talks about drinking a lot because <laughs> he's He's a doctor, but he's always hitting the sauce. He's like, yep, after this, can we go get some mead? Because I'm thirsty. And it's like, nice. oh, okay. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> the things he's seen. Yeah. I mean, if you're out there, like, you know, fighting giant snakes in the wilderness and saving people from death, then you got to, like, kick back every once in a while because it's exhausting and stressful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I find that um, because, again, we don't want to get too deep into, like, any, of, any one story because I don't want to spoil stuff. The game's quite early. Uh, or quite recent, but I just I do feel like I, when I was saying the arcs are kind of predictable, it's like what what do you think is going to happen to somebody who wants to become a doctor uh, and resolves to cure anybody no matter what? Like, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to happen? You know what I mean? So it's like it follows an arc that you can probably see from a million miles away. But I think that he's a sweet character, and I I liked him well enough. He was the first person I picked, so he was in my party the whole game. All right. So. Even with the even with the predictable story lines, it's even I've I think I've played enough RPGs that it's that after, even though I've seen this a hundred times, it's still good to like seeing it told like a different a different but uh, the same but different enough way with different characters allows for any perspective of of sorts where each where while I was able to predict the story and be able to go through everything with that it didn't feel like it was tiresome hmm. for everything. Like I played yeah. a game, I played a game like Tokyo Mirage Sessions or Tokyo Zandu and they have a bunch of, and they have a bunch of predictable storylines and that too. But um, I was able to still able to go through them and finish them because um, they were done differently enough where I was still able to enjoy all of it in the long run. So. Yeah. I think that's one of the strengths of something like, trails in the sky or whatever is that it tells a fairly predictable i mean it's not predictable it's the the overall arc can at times be predictable but the individual moments i think are what make it so interesting and for me i I think the same thing happens with octopath i don't think that 
any of those story beats are quite as fleshed out as something like Trails in the Sky, but that's because Trails in the Sky has like eight games now with a billion characters. And this is one game focusing on, I mean, eight characters is like a lot to give the spotlight to, to, to that degree. And I think it still manages to give each one of them like the requisite amount of time to well, develop. Like each, each of the romancing saga games has eight protagonists as well, but none of those, none of those three games give any of those characters the spotlight that Octopath does. And although the narrative is still pretty slight in Octopath, I mean, the writing around it and the 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 dialogue and the character moments are so um, you can tell that love has gone into them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking like I was thinking that I wasn't going to care about Ophelia, really, because I was like, OK, you know, she's. She's a goody two shoes cleric, like she'll be fine, but it's whatever. And there was a point in her story where I cried. <laughs> it was just like I was so touched because oh, wow. it's it's a moment. There's a moment that's not necessarily it's again something that you may have seen before, but it's just addressed and presented in a way that's um, pretty touching. And I th- I thought it was very heartfelt, either from the perspective of the original writer or the localization uh, team or whatever. But um, yeah, I I think. Octopath is not the deepest game in the entire world in terms of story, but I think that each of its individual stories are strong enough to make up for that. So, yeah, I agree with that. I, I really, really love Octopath Traveler. So yeah, I don't I'm, think I had any delusions about that. Yeah, I'm. I'm just glad that people like it so much. I'm excited that pretty much every day I open up Twitter and I see new fan art of, you know, people seem to have really taken to uh, Primrose from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else have I seen? I've seen a lot of Tressa artwork and stuff, a little bit of Haunted. So, yeah, it's yeah. it's a good cast. I don't think there's any one dud in the cast. Um, and I think if if there's like a character people like the least or whatever, or uh, it's probably just going to be totally taste. I, I really don't think that there's one that's terrible. Um, I'm actually kind of curious. I, I know that Greg, you haven't played it yet, but who is everybody's favorite character? Nathan, who's yours? Um. Mine might be Primrose, maybe, or, or Tressa. Mm-hmm. Interesting uh, duality there. Yeah, it's amazing because Primrose's story just kind of just kind of tugs at the heartstrings a bit, and uh, it makes you kind of feel for it. And then Tr- Tressa's just, uh, I just like I just like Tressa's enthusiasm for everything. Yeah, I feel like Tressa is kind of an Atelier protagonist. Atlier, whatever. That's how she comes across to me. Is just like, hooray! The world is nothing but adventure, which is, you know, it's it's a mood. So, yeah. uh, Gino, how about you? Who's your favorite? Dyrus. Because yeah, he's uh, like a good combo of snarky and charismatic. I think he's not really yeah. that snarky, but he's not that snarky. He's but it's at first. I at first like the fact that he's so haughty. And everything about his own about his about him being a scholar was could makes you want to punch him, but then when then when he then at the end then towards the end of his first when you find out that he has a problem with dealing with women, in a sense, hmm. boom. <laughs> RPG content. RP, okay, a a. I don't know. No. <laughs> RPG, RPG protagonist similarity. And that's what I need in that because he's because <laughs> he's dense when it comes to women. I love that in a protagonist. Plus, he's awesome in battle. So, boom. Yeah, he's uh, he's super good in battle. I wasn't yeah. using him at first, and then when I switched him into my um, active party, I was like, why wasn't I using him from the beginning? Oh my god! Yes, Cyrus, 
all, constantly in my party. He's, he's he's my main along with Hanit, because I picked Hanit to start. Oh, nice. Yeah, he can cover um, three elements with his uh, scholar class. And then if you sub merchant on him, he can cover wind as well and do some um, interesting. Yeah, plus, he discovers weaknesses. And I, I always need that when I'm walking to someone new. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's nice. He was actually, I'll admit, he was um, the character I was least interested in after doing chapter one because I just felt like his chapter one was um, like nothing happened in it really. And then after that, I got a lot more interested because of where his story goes. So, I, yeah, Cyrus is great. Uh, Fenner, do you have a favorite character? Alfin, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, hate, I don't hate Alfin. I, I like him. It's just I, it's just the voice acting is just weird. Um, it's complicated. Like, I like Primrose quite a bit. I think that the writing around her chapter one is, like, a little too... Uh, it seems a little ta in bad taste. Um mm. I, well, I mean, I picked Therian as my protagonist. I still like him quite a bit. Um, he's a nice, um, greedy, chaotic neutral uh, who I am role-playing to only steal from total assholes. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm hearing that I'm shooting myself in the foot because um, one of my friends is stealing lots of great items that are just, you know, in the possession of children in later towns. But, yeah, you can even yeah. steal from a dog. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was mad that they programmed that in. I was like, no, like good boy. we're not Never. doing this. <laughs> there's, there's that, there's that, uh, screw, no, actually, actually, I don't want to mention that, but let's just say there's one, one dog that's just labeled good dog as their title. And it's really funny. Yeah. I think I, I, saw, I, dog, yeah, I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. All good boys. Yeah. Every single one is a good play. Um, and then Greg, you haven't played it, right? No, I have. That was weird. No, I haven't. I've been interested, though, uh, I would say, oddly enough, uh, in Cyrus, just because he seems to have some cool stuff going on as far as being the, the scholar. And yeah, I like the aspect of scrutinizing and studying the folk for weaknesses. Mm -hmm. uh, but just Hannick's mechanics of being an alchemist and such sounds really fascinating to me, too, having that oh, whole uh, thing. Alfin? Oh, sorry, Alfin. Sorry, not yeah, Hannick. That's okay. Hunter. Shows that I know. Uh, so having that as a thing as um as a main character to play with i find really interesting because you don't see that in a ton of games yeah you can do a lot of actually weakness like enemy breaking using alfin's concoct ability because he's got some really good heals available to him as well as um they don't do any damage really i mean they do like two damage but you can do things like uh combine let's say like the root for what would cure poison i forget what elements which but like there's a root that would normally cure poison but if you combine that with the injurious seed which is like an enemy attack item then it does like i'm making this up because i don't remember which one it is it'll do like ice damage twice to an enemy um for barely any damage but it had it'll have a chance of doing a status effect like maybe defense down or something i know that's wind but um and then also hitting the enemy twice for for ice which could possibly break them so you have access very early on to a character who's good at breaking every element if you buy the right items plus he has like axe and a bunch of good healing abilities on his own so that's pretty yeah. neat yeah I like the sounds of that. Mm -hmm. he's a he's a thinker's character i guess but not his, his, his base uh apothecary class can get some really can hit really freaking hard towards the end game too yeah that's amputation nice. is crazy no no not even amputation last stand Oh yeah, last stand at one HP plus a skill you get later. Oh, it does so much. 
Oh, okay. What yeah, do you I, I'm just giving empowering like uh, the items like increase HP to him just so I can get last stand hits. Wait, nice. increasing HP or decreasing? Increasing HP. No, last stand works if you have less HP, the more damage you do. Oh, no, I mean like so just get him to take damage and then when he's low and then I'll use it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, makes sense. And then um, I guess as for me, my favorites are either I really do like Alfin, and then just in terms of lore, I don't know because everybody's cool. But in terms of lore, I think I like uh, Hanit and um, Primrose. Yeah, like Hanit, Primrose, Alfin, and Therian's really great too. I mean, I like mm-hmm. them all. Damn it, they're all good. So Octopath is a fantastic success, I think, for Square Enix. It's not perfect, but no game is. And um, I'm glad that they went the sort of no DLC route for this one. They've said that they don't plan on releasing any DLC. The game is complete as it is. And I think that the final optional sort of little epilogue challenge that exists, I call it little. Like, it's little in terms of story, but not in terms of gameplay. There's there's a lot to fight there. Um, I think that provides enough of a challenge that it's... If people are like really wanting to see more or squeeze more out of the game after they've beaten each of the main character stories, you know, that's that's where you go. And there are some cool pieces of lore that tie everything together that you get access to while doing that. Um, but I'm glad that the game is sort of complete as it is. And I look forward to them hopefully making more games in the vein of Octopath Traveler, not necessarily like the same engine or the same idea, but they they've shown that they can still do a classic turn-based RPG like this um, and have it be very successful. So, At least right. it wasn't Lost Sphere. I know, right? What a, what a difference. <laughs> I mean, Every, Fenner... Silicon Studios have put out has been like a throwback that has been transformative. Um, uh, but sorry, I, I talked over you. You were saying? Oh, I was I was going to throw it to you, actually, because I wanted oh. to... I know how much you love Tokyo RPG Factory. Oh, my God. I'm just being facetious. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, what was the other game though? What else have uh, they put out? Oh, Silicon Studios. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they put out both the Bravely games and they put out um, 3D Dot Game Heroes. Oh, okay. Bravely. Well, Bravely in itself is just. I could talk on hours from Bravely, but also I'm actually glad that I'm actually glad that in Octopath's Endgame doesn't give you as much broken uh, character lineups as Bravely Second's Endgame. So I'm happy about that too. It's a little yeah. bit more reeled in, yeah. You don't have all the like super, super, super crazy abilities. You do have some fairly out there ones, but yeah, you can certainly break. I found well, yeah, I haven't played Bravely Second, Bravely Default. You can definitely break it pretty good. So Bravely Second has even worse stuff oh, in the dear. game. It's even yeah, even worse than some of the stuff in Bravely Default. <laughs> but hopefully, worse in a fun way, yeah. Oh no, definitely in a fun way, but it's definitely, but it's it's <laughs> man. But it's I'm one of those things if you're making an easy game. Potentially easy game, like easier, arguably. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into that. But I wanna, in the long run, I'm just glad Octopath is a bit more balanced when it comes to that end game, end game brokenness when it comes it to is. gameplay. I actually feel like there's quite a bit of restraint in Octopath in terms of design that I really appreciate. So, like whether it's the the groundedness of the writing for some of the characters, or like the fact that it doesn't give you, you know, a billion uh, ways to customize your character right off the bat. Like you have your equipment, and then you have your scale points and each character has their classes and you know exactly how many abilities each one has and like i feel like it's it's balanced and tuned very very well without being overwhelming because it is possible for a lot of games to just throw way too much crap at you and give you a billion options that you don't even know how to build your character because like saga games do that where it's like i don't know have fun figure it out yeah they tell you nothing yeah 
an octopath <laughs> is, is quite a bit more focused in that regard. Mm. So, yeah, beautiful game. I'm so glad it exists. And um, mm. it's one of like probably my two most it was one of my two most anticipated games for the year. The other one being Dragon Quest 11. So it is it is a good year for RPGs, guys. Sure is. It was one of my three until I until Kingdom Hearts three got delayed. So oh yeah, <laughs> gotta wait. <laughs> well, the the uh, speaking of, I was gonna say there was a lot of discussion surrounding um, like the expectations for Octopath Traveler that I don't really want to get into too much. But I've heard people being like, oh, I was expecting it to be more of this interwoven story and stuff like we had talked about earlier in the show. And I think that in spite of those expectations, um, Octopath defied them and became a great game anyway. Um, another game that has a lot of expectations heaped upon it because of the length of the development cycle is one of the earliest Kickstarters I ever remember seeing. It was for Chasm, the procedurally generated sort of like quote-unquote Metroidvania-style um, action RPG. And I will call it an action RPG because it does have, you know, numbers whenever you hit enemies. It's very Castlevania Symphony of the Night down to like a backdash ability and the way that your character kind of feels. So... Chasm finally came out after like five years in development, right? Mm, yeah. Um, came out this kind of a, week. Kind of a big surprise. I, I didn't know that it was coming at all. Yeah, it's I didn't been know a while. It was... yeah. mm -hmm. But it's looked great, and I've definitely been anticipating, so I'm excited. Yeah. I, it, uh, it's one that I had, I was really eagerly anticipating for a long time, and unfortunately, due to the protracted development cycle, I kind of just forgot about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now it's suddenly out. They announced it at the beginning of July, or towards the beginning of July, that it was coming out at the end of the month, and it did. So it's here now. Um, I've played it a bit myself, probably like three, maybe three hours or so, not too much, but Robert Fenner is our resident Chasm expert, as he has just penned a review of the game. I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but yes, I, I've played through it, I have reviewed it, and uh, eh, it's okay. Do you also spelunk on the weekends? Uh, I've been I've been known to I've been known to, to delve into holes now and then. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so chasm happened. Speaking of getting into chasms, you played it, reviewed it. It's okay. I share this assessment. I think it is mm -hmm. okay from what I have played. Not amazing, but just okay. And I I guess I just wanted to get your opinion on what I think is the biggest weakness of the game and also its most touted feature, which is the procedural generation of each world. Um, there was an article that was on Waypoint that somebody linked to me a couple of days ago talking yeah. about how, I think Patrick Klepek wrote it. It was and, Klepek's piece, yeah. Mm -hmm, talking about how the random nature of the world, I think his, his headline was even something like, the randomness of Chasm's world makes it impossible to know if it's good. And that resonated with me so much because I was like, yeah, I honestly can't tell if some of the room configurations that I'm getting in this game are like, boring or if it's mm. just my bad roll of the die because the way chasm does it is it it has all of these rooms that are handcrafted but then they're stitched together procedurally so you'll have like the same beginning and end of every zone and also and i guess i should say chasm is one of those games where like you, you have a hub town you go into this dungeon that's um, different for every player and you're trying to get to the bottom of it and like fight a but boss. It's, a, it's static for your save game. The, right. it, the the dungeon is generated, and then that's that. You, it's not mystery dungeon style. It's not spelunky style. It's like here, your dungeon is now set. Um, go into it and play it for twenty hours, a la Castlevania. Yes, 
Yeah, that is, and that is an important distinction because it's not—it's not like Rogue Legacy where you're going on runs. Yeah. It's like, like you said, it's—it's it's generated for you. They have what's called a seed, and uh, once your file is created, it's—it's it's static. It won't change in any way throughout your playthrough. If you die, you just have to reload your save or whatever. Um, the nice—a nice touch to that is that they added that the, like a, not a hexadecimal or a hash, but it's just like a password for your world seed. And so if you give it to somebody else and they enter that at the game start screen, they'll have exactly the same world as you. So if you want to be able to like replicate a run or something. I guess, um, I just, I can't really see the appeal in doing that personally. Right. That's the thing is like, that's a wonderful idea, but I don't think that Chasm is interesting enough to play to make me want to do that. Mm. Um, especially because I think the mystery of the game probably comes in through discovery uh, or like the excitement of the game rather comes through the mystery of discovery. And so to know exactly what you're going to be getting is like, okay. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, I've, I asked you for your opinion and I just ended up talking a whole bunch. So how do you feel about oh, the way it comes together? Uh, you know, I can't help but be a little bit bummed. Um, I, you know, I think it, it's, it's fine. It's, you know, I would even say it's good. It's fun to play. Um, but it's, you know, the world is bland. The moment to moment, while while the controls are tight and there is like a certain kind of like mindless satisfaction to be uh going through going through these caves um i just you know i i was not excited about it in the least and i was thinking well you know i'm it's early you know it's early hours yet uh maybe something will you know come out of left field and really surprise me and nothing ever did um you know it's from from the way this game was described in its initial Kickstarter pitch and some of the um, press around it, and like I don't I don't know if this is fully the game's fault, but I mean, well, I, mean, I I first saw this when it was on Kickstarter, and the impression I got from the Kickstarter pitch was it would be like something like a little bit like a less meme rogue legacy or something like a side-scrolling mystery dungeon or. I don't know, like spelunky with RPG elements, and it's yeah. it's most definitely not that. Yeah. Um, and you know, if, if you're going to do a game that slavishly replicates the mechanics of Castlevania symphony in the night, um, you know, without being transformative, you've got to do something interesting with, you know, either the setting or the characters or like one key mechanic and like none of that's really there here. I mean, it's, it's a pretty game and it's, it's fine, but uh, you know, I, I'm going for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the visual aesthetic is really the most impressive thing about it. The, it's gorgeous, and the, the monster animations are great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're just like very lavishly detailed pixel art for everything, but I just find that I, I'm not engaged. Like, it's funny because I could really, I could feel my enthusiasm sagging as I was playing the game over the couple of hours that I played it. It was like, it went from, oh, I'm so excited, I can't wait to see what's in every room, to like, okay... I'm seeing some of the same stuff like, huh, I wonder if there's going to be anything else in any of these rooms to like, I found a traversal tool. Now I'm able to get past this wall and now here's more of the same rooms. Yeah. And it's, it's so far I've only gotten one traversal tool and it's the one that lets me like grab onto ledges. Mm. Uh, and I, I assume those all go in the same order, right? Like They do. Yeah. Yeah. So you get that first and then something that probably lets you go through the gaps, like crawl or something. Mm -hmm. And then you um, get a wall jump and then you get a parachute and then, no, you get a light to go in dark rooms and then you get a parachute from a dark room. Okay. And so forth. Yeah. And um, so the ideas are all there, but it's like the, in practice, 
because I, I don't know if like rooms seem like they're too wide, like they're too spacious or there's just not enough in any of them, either visually or in terms of mechanics to keep me excited. Like, yes, hmm. there's a slime in this room. Yep. There's another slime in the next room. Uh, I mean, just, just slashing an enemy on my way through a, a long horizontal space does mm. not engage me. Mm -hmm. Like there has to be something that either the traversal needs to feel better or there has to be something more visually interesting, like something. And I don't yeah. think that chasm is terrible at all. Like, it's like you said, I think it's okay. I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't go so far as to say it's good. Um, my experience has been a little bit mm -hmm. less positive than yours, it seems, but I'm just kind of bored by it. And um, I don't, I didn't want to cut you off if you're making a point just now. No, no, please continue. Okay. Um, I, part of the discussion surrounding this game is unfortunately it's proximity in, in terms of release schedule to some other truly great games in its vein. And if you want to call them Metroidvania or whatever, that's, you know, it's up to you. So some people I have really hate the Hollow Knight and oh my goodness, that game is just bursting with creativity. It's and phenomenal. Ideas. It is incredible. It's so good. Uh, and I, I feel like Hollow Knight also released out of nowhere when it did. Cause yeah, I didn't hear any fanfare and um, I went months. It was, it was out like a year ago and nobody really cared when it was just on steam. And now like people are berserk for it on, on switch myself included. Yeah. I, I picked it up towards, uh, I, I got it in December of 2017 and I, I want to say I got it like the 30th or 31st. And I've probably said this exact same thing in the podcast before. So sorry. But if I had played it any earlier than like literally the last two days of the year, it would have been in my top games of the year no question like top five or top three it's just it's incredible it drips with so much like care and exquisite hand polish mm. in every area and every every little facet of the world is so like eloquently designed or elegantly designed and that's what i feel like chasm is missing because it goes for this Ooh, everybody's adventure is different and it's a mystery kind of approach but it's not an exciting mystery to solve because all I'm doing is going through like the same boring shapes in a different sequence than somebody else did. Mm. Um, and I, I think that I was talking to Steven Meyerink about this and he was saying that it, uh, his words were more or less hollow Knight makes a very strong case for like handcrafted level design. Mm. And I, I would agree with that because I don't think that chasm recognizes the importance of that. Like, yes, each room is handcrafted and that is a step up from it being a hundred percent procedurally generated, but um, it doesn't work for me very well. And I, I haven't given up on it, but um, I'm just not that impressed by chasm. Sadly. I mean, one of the things that really bummed me, and this is probably says something more about me. Um, I was really drawn in by those uh, screenshots of Carthus, the the snowy hub town. Yeah. Um, and those kind of said to me like, oh, this is going to be like kind of like a lonely, introspective, existential adventure. And it's definitely not that. It is just a hub town. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's kind of um, inelegant. I think, and the, yeah. the terms, like thematically, yeah, I think really see the strings of these people are just here to, you know, get you to bring back tools so they can provide a service. Yeah, like ah, it's the potion maker. Got yeah. it. Yeah, which is I, endemic, I think, of uh, or not endemic. It's just that happens. I feel in a lot of roguelikes when you have the hub, and it's unfortunate that this didn't really get to have more character outside of that. I mean, 
uh, I'm playing Moonlighter, which is also the roguelike, and it's similar. Most of the characters are just NPCs, and then the other ones are just there mm. to facilitate your quest. Mm. There's not a lot of story development with those characters themselves. Mm. Yeah, whereas something like in, I'm sorry, but in Hollow Knight, the, everything in the hub town not only has a function, but is like so steeped in lore and and exciting mystery. Like, mm. who the hell is this shopkeeper? Like, why mm-hmm. does he have a locked basement? What's going on there? And like, why is he kind of creepy and or seeming like he could turn on me kind of thing? Or, you know, what's with all of these insect husks I see on the ground? Or, you know, whatever it may be. And I just, I was uh, drawn in, I think, by that atmosphere and setting of that hub town, which is pretty similar. It's not like super robust yeah. or anything. I mean, I, I, I'm not usually bothered by the fact that roguelikes have like very slight storytelling and not really um, not like a whole lot of character development. But I mean, I think the difference here is that like with something like, I don't know, enter the gungeon or binding of Isaac, um, you just, you know, you jump in and you do your run, you die and then you do a run again. And they're like these discreet little short experiences. Whereas chasm uh, it's like, you know, a 20 hour campaign. Right. And it's, it's created, um, like, you know, each one is unique, but it's not like a jump in, jump out kind of experience. It's, you know, build your character up over this long period, not like, you know, not so much learn from your mistakes and start from zero, but with knowledge. I don't know. It's just, hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's, it somehow doesn't, well, I was talking about expectation in the first place and it's, it's typically unfair to judge a game based on expectation just because everybody's expectations vary and perhaps we're projecting something that we thought we would get or something that we wanted that was never promised or whatever. And I I mean, I'm certainly guilty of it. I, I expect things all the time and I project those expectations. So I'm not saying I don't do it. It's just, if we're going to talk about chasm in that context, like I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't what I got. (laughs) So, <laughs> I don't know. It's just I don't feel like Chasm has an extremely strong identity. Um, in yeah, it really doesn't sort of in yeah, and like a market saturated with games like it. And also a point that I've seen repeated is um, other. I didn't think of this. Other people brought this up on Twitter, etc. Was that when Chasm was announced, we were starving for games like that. Oh yeah, and now they're everywhere, and they've been done so well. So many of them have been that it's kind of hard to look at chasm as anything, but a little bit of like a, well, if you would have released this several years ago via your initial projected timeline, then maybe it would be, a, it would have made more of a splash. And I don't begrudge them for like having lives or whatever the circumstances were surrounding development. I know it was fairly fraught, so it's out and they should be proud of that. It's just like, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't set my world on fire. So They've obviously worked hard and they've done some heavy lifting, making it all uh, come together in the way that it did. Um, You know, I just think I've said this time and time again. um, If you're going to um, do something that draws on uh, past classics or bygone genres, I think you need to do something that's transformative. And I don't think Chasm is quite transformative enough. But I, you know, I, I do think they can probably, you know, with a little bit more ingenuity, like put something out really special, maybe, maybe next time. I can see that because they have the talent to do it. Oh, I just think definitely. that what they executed wasn't as engaging as it could have been. I'm sure 
plenty of people are pretty happy with it. And right. That's great. Would you give it a 75? Yeah. Yeah. So it's fine. I think that, that is a fine score. Yep. Agreed. It's a fine game. That sounds like a good game worth playing. Yeah. And I'm still looking forward to your uh, final take on Moonlighter there, Greg. I'm getting closer. Yeah, I, I want to know about that. I've gotten further in now from when we last spoke. Uh, they also related, released one update recently as well. So now there's a few changes to the quality of life. Uh, also, like your player character gets like the armor actually changes as you Ooh. add stuff too, which is a fun feature that I always like in games. Is Me too. Things. I love that actually. Right? And so they're just kind of added some nice stuff to kind of spruce things up. And it sounds like they have more going on as the game is going to progress planned out, which is great because like I was reflecting with my partner yesterday about the fact that I was like, how am I expected to play anything new when games like no man's sky and monster hunter world and this game, like they all are coming up with these sweet free updates that make me want to go back and play them instead of like taking on anything. <laughs> new. Like I'm never going to have any new time to play anything new because developers are making their old games still rad. <laughs> right. And then like the nature of some of those games, something like no man's sky in particular is just sort of like that it is infinite. Well, and exactly. You keep playing it and keep playing. And Weren't you playing that, um, Robert? Uh, what Moonlighter? No, No Man's Sky. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm losing my mind here. Yes, uh, I have been playing No Man's Sky, and I've just had to rest. I've just found that I needed to restart my save. Um, just now. Um, because uh, if you uh, if you join in a friend's game who's built a base and you haven't built a base yet. Uh, the game con is convinced that you have built a base and it just tells you to get on with things, but you never ever actually get the blueprints to do so. That's weird. So yeah, that's 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 me. I was hoist by my own wacky, wacky, slow, low dogfighting petard. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was four of us just like as slow as we could, taking pot shots at a sentinel as close to the ground as we possibly could. It was a, it was a wild scene, let me tell you. Um, but did you have fun? Oh yeah, incredibly broken fun. I, you know, I think one of my friends um, ended up like deleting corridors in another one of my friends' frigates, and so there was just space in the middle of a spaceship, and um, it all seems broken and wrong, and I like it. <laughs> I really hope that you renamed the ship the spaceship. Ooh. Yeah, that 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 would be good. It was actually it's actually called the Goku Vegeta. I'll have you know, but <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. And yeah. that's sister ship, the SS Piccolo. Mm. I uh, it's a game I want to get back to too. And with all these games, with the new fun content that's coming out, it's just uh, yeah, it's just an exciting thing to to get would, into. Yeah, was, too many games, and it's great to have games like Octopath, like you said, where it's just like, nope, we're done. That's what it is. You've got your experience and you, so you know, like. You're not going to go to your shelf and read a book and then suddenly the author's going to be like, but I've added like three more chapters that you should buy now. <laughs> and you're like, but it's, I want DLC. that to buy no more. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not against um, extending experiences that I enjoy. It's just, you know, DLC can be such a pitfall and it's so easy for it to go awry yes. and to either gate stuff that should have been there in the first place or to like completely... Um, like undo the narrative or the thematic impact of something that happens in a story. Like it's, it's tricky. So which depends on how it's done. This, yeah. Yeah. Which is why something like, well, what Xenoblade two's uh, expansion comes out next month at this point. And it's fast. It is. It, it feels like it. It's, I mean, it's going to be close to a year since the game originally released. Um, but months. I'm, yeah. 
but I'm, and you know, I'm, I've talked about how I'm not the ultimate fan of Xenoblade two. I, if, if only Caitlin were here, um, I think that the, you know, the series peaked with Xenoblade one and cause Xenoblade one is one of my most favorite games ever, blah, 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 blah. Um, mm-hmm. but I do think that the choice that they made for Xenoblade two's narrative DLC works. I would actually much rather play like a story that's like spatially and temporally removed from the rest of the game than to like play an epilogue that comes after the fact just because of mm-hmm. how that story comes out. So mm-hmm. yeah. I'm also like, I don't love half of the cast. So let me play as different people, please. But uh, anyway, that's coming out pretty soon. So I'm, I'm looking forward to actually digging into that. It's just, that's uh, isn't Valkyria four also coming out in September or is that like later on? It's, it's it is on the same day as dragon quest. Hey, if I come on the twenties, Mm, okay, but we've got Valkyria, Dragon Quest, and Xenoblade Two all in the same month. Yes, okay. yeah, it's a it's a few weeks uh, later. Xenoblade comes out four days before Valkyria Chronicles. Okay, at least they're not on the same day. But uh, uh, stuff to do. Some stuff is coming out on the same day as Dragon Isn't Quest. Isn't Spider Man coming out the same day as Dragon Quest? That's uh, not be. three days later. Okay, good because I I remember hearing early on that those were really close and I'm worried about that. Oh, September's man. pretty crazy. With stuff. Calm down developers. Calm down. Well, Oh yeah. It's 428 coming out on the same day as dragon quest. Oh boy. I'm gonna have to buy both. Oh, oh no. Uh, Shibuya scramble. That's right. Kids okay. are going back to school. How are they expected to play these things? All right. That's the question I ask myself all through high school. Yeah. <laughs> How do I find the time? Uh, you become uh, an adult, and then you have enough disposable income to buy the games, but not to, the time to play, to play them. them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Even, even the having disposable income thing is uh, <laughs> a stretch. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it, exactly. Uh, capitalism. Take your battles. Yeah. Um, so l- before we jump into future stuff too much, I want to delve into the backlog. I want to delve so deep, I go into the abyss. Uh-oh. And um, have an entire operation around it. Is this going to be a my rank level like segue? This got away from me, but um, I want to talk <laughs> about a game that I thought was um, garbage butt sauce, and that's Operation Abyss: New Tokyo Legacy. And for some reason, Robert Fenner is playing it. So have fun. Um, I think it's because I hate myself. Um, so as I said at the top of this podcast before we started recording, I want to. I wanted to play The Lost Child, but I thought. Mm, I, am I going to pay $60 for this game that's just not going to be that great? I probably shouldn't do that. Um, but I'd already beaten Stranger of Sword City, which I reviewed for the site maybe two years ago. Um, and I thought, well, I've got that Operation Abyss game that I didn't like and that Derek really didn't like. What if I What if I got into that? Um, and um, 20 hours later, I'm well... Uh, I'm, I've, I am gazing into the abyss, and the abyss is gazing into me. Um, but have you made this... yourself a, a GeoCities fan page yet? Are you that into it? Oh wow, that's a deep cut. Um, no, no, not yet. But you know, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I'll... what's GeoCities? Is that a thing? Ooh, <laughs> new GeoCities. Yeah, yeah. GeoSeeker. New Age. Oh, is it the I'll New make... Age one? No. Oh. Yeah, I'll make um, I'll ma- I'll make a reset error thread about. No, I won't do any of that. Um, you could write a hardcore gaming one on one article about it because apparently you do that sometimes. What the hell? I've done that a few times. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I, I swear to God, I was on hardcore gaming one on one and I was reading. Uh, you know, it's it's a rabbit hole. So you click on one page and then you end up with like twelve tabs open. 
And I was reading about Lennis II, the sequel to Paladin's Quest, as it's known. Yeah. What the hell? And I read this I, whole article, was thinking about it like all night. And then the next day I go to link it to somebody else and I see the author and it's none other than Robert Stinky Boy Fenner in the flesh. I'm, I'm pleased you were thinking of this stinky boy late at night. Always. Um, but what the hell? Anyway, sorry. I wrote I wrote the Paladin's Quest One article as well too. So you um, did. <laughs> uh, plug plug. I'm in their latest book actually, NES Cult Classics. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm gonna get that. I have a piece on Feria, uh, game arts, uh, the early game arts RPG. So I don't know what that is actually. Yeah, that is uh, Takeshi Miyagi, uh, the creator of uh, Lunar and Grandia, the late Takeshi. Huh. Sorry. Uh, which is weird and gender bending. So okay. Think about that. Cool. Anyway, that's not Tokyo. Uh, what is this game called again? Operation, Operation of this Tokyo Rumble? No, <laughs> Tokyo New Tokyo Legacy. Um, oh, hey Boris. Um, you played this. I've played this. It's kind of like a bargain basement SMT about a bunch of high school students who are in a secret squad who I think it's actually a wizardry spinoff like yeah. the weird Japanese wizardry games that experience put out um, it's one of those it's obtuse it's hostile but um, aside from it's like weird kind of moe-esque aesthetic it's not that different from Stranger of Sword City it's not as interesting but it is scratching an itch for me um and i'm breaking out in hives as well because <laughs> this game's um it, it's it's ui and its menus are are such a mess that like you can't really there's like i don't know if i'm stupid but there's like a scan enemy technique that doesn't seem to do anything um you can accidentally use a heal spell when everybody has full health and it will say like the spell failed but it will still take that mp away from you oh yeah that um, game is full of stuff like that you uh can't compare the items in your inventory to what like you can't automatically compare to what you're equipped with to what you're gonna buy or or build you have to like have you have to keep going back and forth between two windows and it's just like i i don't i don't really know why i'm doing this and then like i get to a segment where a man in a feather boa says hey you lick my legs and i said yes i will and then it like dropped all of my party's morale and they all got mad at me for doing that um and i thought like well there's there's something here there's definitely something here <laughs> it's just it's definitely out there i'll say that um when I was playing it, I was I was um, initially interested in kind of the atmosphere, like the the main conceit of the game, which was like exploring this sort of seedy. Um, uh, I don't know what I would call it. It's not like the underworld. I, I mean, you're, literally, you're going through sewers and stuff, right? Mm, yeah, um, sewers and like abandoned buildings, and, and I kind of dig that. Stuff. Yeah, well, you keep going back through that apartment building all the time, which, and they're like. 10 times and each time it gets a little bit darker outside and like the city lights are a little bit brighter and I kind of like that but like I've, it's like I've been here what's happening yeah um, oh and dimensional rifts and stuff too right yeah lots of lots, like which just means like teleporter maze I guess which um, oh god I love a teleporter maze I'm just kidding I loathe teleporter mazes they I think I'm just feeling particularly masochistic this season but I don't want to spend money to do so so yeah, that's okay. I mean, it's like if nothing else, it's um, it's amusing and it's an experience, and uh, you're getting further into that. You'll probably get further than I did. 
yeah before finishing the review so who knows who knows um it has held my attention um i you know i made a i made a twitter meme um uh you know the the guy with the two girls um with octopath traveler on my arm and operation abyss walking down the street um (laughs) and i can't really explain why this is happening um but it is something that's happening and maybe maybe i'll be satisfied at the end of it or maybe i'll give up very soon i don't know but it's just it seems to be holding my attention at the moment and i can't really explain why well, I mean, as long as you're being entertained, is it not entertainment? I'm, I'm not being entertained. But <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Is it is it train wreck effect? A train wreck effect? Um, you can't look away from the horror that is before you. It's not even that. It's like, <laughs> it's 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 playable, and it's helping me get ready for bed. <laughs> It exhausts you, is what I'm hearing. Okay, that's a that's a way to read it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think that there. I think it's a little bit more. I think it is a little bit more entertaining than I had first given it credit for. But um, I can't dispute your review. <laughs> well, thanks. I think <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. Uh, forget melatonin. Operation Abyss. New Tokyo Legacy is all you need. Uh-huh. A good night's sleep. <laughs> Chamomile. Pshaw. And, then, and if you're feeling uh, even more masochistic than Robert Fenner, you can go on to the second game in this series, which is, I don't even remember what it's called, Operation Something Else, right? Oper- Operation Babel. Operation Babel. New yeah. Tokyo something? Legacy still? Probably right. so. Something like that. I, I, when I saw media for that way back when, actually, it that wasn't the same super. game. Yeah, it, it looks identical. I thought it was yeah. the same game. When I saw Stepford, I was like, oh, didn't that already come out? It must be a different platform or something. No, it's definitely a sequel. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just an instance of asset reuse for maximum profit right there. It, it must be. Um, however, just before we move off this, I am excited to see that um, Experience's like, weird horror adventure, Deathmark, is getting a release in 2019. Oh, it is, West. isn't it? Yeah. That looks cool. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be on Switch as well, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, which is an uh, an unexpected platform for that. I would say. But. So that that's giving me um, well, <laughs> hold on before you run away. It's giving me vibes of uh, of uh, Tokyo Twilight Ghost Hunters, but without um, combat and without the homophobia. Oh, good. So, so I would actually enjoy it. Cool, cool art and uh, adventure game elements, rather than extremely frustrating. Here's some weird sort of tabletop analog yeah oh yeah the the combat in um tokyo twilight ghost hunters is just like uh, can you call it combat it's like it's why don't you guess cool. at where your enemy's going to be and just swing there for fun yeah that's not my idea of a good time yeah that's another one i wasn't very fond of i guess games They're pretty uh, mid mid to low budget games with tokyo in the title didn't fare so well uh in yeah. the i don't know 20 13 to 2016 era whenever I played both of those games. Bad, bad decade for them, along with Tokyo Xanadu. <laughs> True, right? Yeah. yeah, that's well, but Gino likes Tokyo Xanadu, right? Yeah, I do like Tokyo Xanadu. Okay, so we don't we don't want to be that's too fine. mean here. Anyway, Tokyo Mirage Sessions is just great. Yeah, I will hold my tongue on Tokyo Mirage Sessions, which I know is held in quite high esteem. Uh, that's fair. By this I, panel. No, I I think I totally get where you're coming from, Fenner. 
in terms of Tokyo Mirage Sessions, because I've talked about how like the idol industry is super gross and toxic and like manipulative and exploitative and um, like borderline evil in some ways. But uh, the game sure makes it seem like capitalism and, and exploiting youth is fun. No, I just think that <laughs> it's just a really fun RPG. And the I find the music very catchy and like it's bright and colorful and fun and um, mm -hmm. hides all of the evils that uh, its subject matter is trying to play off of. So. Mm. I will say I do understand why people do not like Tokyo Zandu, but the but my bar for my bar is a little lower than a lot of people's when it comes to that kind of, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Well, it certainly uh, gives you a lot of bang for your buck because that game just keeps going. <laughs> really hey, I, I I I just want to. Actually, before Octopath came out, I was trying to 100% that game, but I missed a couple profiles from an earlier thing. So I just lost. So I went back. To, I went back to like halfway through the game, and now I just lost half my progress for the game. Oh uh, my goodness! Yeah, that's some, that's some dedication to Falcom's baloney. I know, seriously. Yeah, I, those, like oh, you have to talk to this specific character at this specific point to get item number three in their profile. Otherwise, you can never get. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. Oh boy. Well. Today's been a good mix of new and old, so uh, I just wanted to shout out a couple of features on the site before we leave you. We recently had a new uh, features editor come on, Tina Ola, and she has penned her first major feature. It is called Adventures on the Side, Guidelines for RPG Side Quests. Um, it mm. is a really neat article that goes into some... Um, it's basically just like her critique of video game side quest design and her little byline is it's an examination of unfortunate overwhelming and mediocre side quests in linear rpgs featuring i am setsuna and xenoblade chronicles so if either of those games have uh either peeved you in some way in terms of their side quest design or if you just like the games probably worth reading the article it's worth reading the article anyway reading anyway yeah it's well written and fun um and i think she points out a couple of uh very salient things about the way that those games handle their side quests that I remember being like, oh, why didn't I think to write a piece on this? So very well done piece. Go check that out. You can access it via the RPG fan main page. It's currently on the sidebar on the right towards the bottom, but it may be gone by the time you uh, hear this episode. So just head on up to the main page, go to features in the top uh, link bar and click adventures on the side. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is that our sister podcast, uh, which has vastly overtaken us in terms of output, Retro Encounter, hosted by Mike Solosi, um, is coming up on episode 150. And so are we, actually. We're only one episode away from that ourselves. So they are soliciting um, feedback for their next episode. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Mike Solosi is looking to collect listener emails. You can send them to retro at rpgfan.com with a question or suggestion about the show. And he said that he will definitely respond to them on the air so long as the emails are received by August 18th and they aren't hateful or hostile. So that's retro at rpgfan.com if you want to send them anything and uh, give them a shout out, say how much you like them, um, say how you're a dedicated listener of Random Encounter and that they're heathen scum, or you can just be nice. Um, with that being said, we're going to sign off here today. So if you have questions, comments, or spare potions, you can email us at podcast at rpgfan.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at rpgfancom and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rpgfancom. Subscribing to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed would be cool. Still haven't gotten that review yet, so I'm waiting for it. Whoever you are, uh, please do that. I would appreciate some nice words. Or if you have to, not as nice words, but that's not very um, nice. 
So don't do that. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to me, Greg, Nathan, Gino, and Fenner. So thanks for hearing us, and we will see you all later.